This week's episode is a special one in that we have not one, but two guests here to have a conversation with me about social justice in sports. With everything that is going on right now in the wake of the death of George Floyd and so many others, listening to each other and learning from one another is as important as ever. I'm very thankful that Travis and Gazi were able to take some time to sit down with me to have this conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you both about social justice in sports. Before we dive in, I just really thank you so much for being here. You both have super busy schedules, and I really appreciate you taking the time out of your days to have this conversation. Obviously, social justice is not an easy topic to talk about, but sports are not in a bubble, as we all know. And whether indirectly or directly, athletes are going to be affected by what's going on right now. And, you know, it's a part of their lives already, even if it's not a hot topic at the moment. And so a lot of people are starting to have these conversations now, which is awesome and great, but we really should have been having these conversations a long time ago. And so I'm really excited to just sit down and talk to you both just because I'm really excited to learn from you both, but then also just to try to get more information out and help athletes who may be struggling or going through some of the stuff that we're going to talk about. So first, before we really get into the conversation, I just love for you both to just share a little bit about yourselves and kind of Travis, how you got into sports psych and how you got into social justice and athlete activism. And then Gauzy, just a little bit about how you became such an active advocate in social justice and a little bit about your sports background. Yeah, so I'll try to keep it brief. Please <laughs> tell me if I need to, if I need to like speed it up or anything. Um, but my name's Travis Shadler. I went to a small division three school in undergrad where I ran track and field. So I was a short sprinter and I did not know what I wanted to do with my life. Um, <laughs> I was all over the place. Um, I changed my major, I think it was 11 times. And eventually I was just on psychology and I talked to my advisor and I was just really interested in, um, in sports as well. So I was like, I wonder if there's like a way to study the two together. And she's like, there's a whole field for it. <laughs> so I'm like, no way, that's super cool. Um, so I start looking into it and I have always really been interested in um, helping others in service, uh, whether it's community service, or um, charitable events or whatever it might be. Uh, and I started doing a little bit more investigating when I was starting to um, apply to sports psychology programs. And I found that uh, there's a few little um, areas such as sport for development and peace, um, sport and social justice more broadly, uh, there are people who study specifically diversity and multiculturalism within sport. Uh, there are people who study athlete activism. And I really just started to do a little bit at a time and started reaching out to people wherever I could and trying to expand my network. And here we are now. <laughs> so I went to University of Kentucky. I just finished my master's in 2020, so just in May and I will be starting uh, my PhD at Ohio State in social work where I'll also focus on sport for social justice. 
congrats on the PhD. That's really exciting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, and yeah, I can relate to a lot of parts of that, especially the whole trying to figure out what you're trying to do and switching your major around a lot. <laughs> yes, it's a journey. <laughs> For sure. Gazi. <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, I can relate to switching major. Except I only switched my major once, and that was two weeks into freshman year before we even declared majors. And I was originally supposed to do economics, and I took Ec 10A for two weeks. Switched my major was like absolutely not not an Ec person. Um, so I went to Harvard and was a sociology major with a secondary in African American studies. Um, and I was student athlete. I also ran track. Um, I was a short sprinter, 60, 100, 401, shortest yes. possible races ever yeah so I sort of got into the whole social justice space coming from a sociology background and the first class I ever took from sociology was so uh, introduction to social movements and just the interest there and how digital affects social movements and social media affects social movements and sociology um, was kind of where all this came together. Um, but even in the current climate of the country, I don't think I really put those two things together, sociology and sports and race and social justice all together until truly like a couple months ago um, when all of this happened. But yeah, I think sports is a great way to um, build on the social justice movement and social movements in general, because every athlete has a platform and a social media base that they can use um, to talk about these things. Yeah, for sure. Especially, I'll ask about the social media part later, but I feel like that athlete platforms has been a huge, or just not even just athletes and having their platforms, but generally the social media platforms have been a huge aspect in this movement right now. Okay, quickly, just because social justice has kind of been a buzz term, and I just want to make sure we define it before we get into it too much. Briefly, can one of you just tell me about what social justice, what's your definition of social justice? very first word that comes to my mind is rights simply put just rights i don't want to necessarily say human rights because it could also be animal rights um it encompasses all kinds of things from global citizenship to fairness to social awareness to interdependence all things that are encapsulated within social justice that are also within sport so just like you were saying sport and social justice have so many uh, commonalities. I would say similar to that, but also looking at like we all lie at intersections, whether it's socioeconomic status, whether it's wealth, whether it's race, whether it's privilege, opportunity, all these different things, we all lie in those intersections. And social justice looks at how people lie in those intersections and is there justice in those intersections? Like, is there equality in those sections? Um, so I think. That also goes by back to sports, like race, socioeconomic status, access to sports, all these different things. Like you can see intersections within all of them. For sure. I guess kind of going back to that social media point that you made um, not too long ago. So in the Michael Jordan documentary that was on ESPN recently, one topic that came up was that Michael Jordan did not publicly engage in anything political. And there are lots of different opinions presented about that in the documentary and I think that that's super interesting but just kind of that brings up what's happening right now and athletes having these huge platforms and deciding what to do so do athletes have a responsibility or a duty to speak up and to use their platform to speak about social justice I think 
what's interesting about that, especially in the context of what's going on in the country right now, I personally don't think it's choosing, it's not choosing a party or people, or it's not choosing a party or a specific political angle. It's choosing people and choosing human life and choosing human rights and human beings. And so I think athletes have a response. We all have platforms in the sense that no matter how many followers you have, people know who you are on the basis of your identity as an athlete, but also outside of that. So using that platform to speak on human rights and human beings, I think is important and imperative. Um, but I don't think it's, it, it, can be political, but I think it's choosing not to choose a party or a specific person or political party, but to choose people altogether, um, I think is super important. And that's where you see a lot of um, even athletes, professional athletes don't necessarily talk about it because they don't want to choose a specific party, but it's not choosing a party, it's choosing people. Yeah, that's such a good point, especially in today's world where everything ends up being polarized. It's really important to just try to strip away especially with what's going on right now, it really is about people and it really is about human rights, I guess, in this specific situation, kind of using your definition, Travis. Travis, what's your kind of take on the responsibility? I, I love that you just added that. So thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I think it's really important to, to, to mention how so many times, um, I, I, I want to say critics, but I don't know if that's too harsh of a word, um, but just individuals will push back at athletes and say, you're not paid to speak out. You're paid to play. So shut up and play. You're not paid to do this. You're not this, 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 and this, whatever it is. But they fail to recognize that they are human too. They put athletes into kind of this box to where if you're athlete, you're not necessarily human. You're not subhuman. You're kind of like, this other category you're othered basically but they're still human they're still in the same environment that we are in we interact with athletes every single day of our lives they interact with us every single day of our lives and we all have a responsibility kind of going back to that global citizenship that i mentioned just a bit ago we all have a responsibility to be global citizens and to treat each other as human beings and we have that option to, um, to use that platform. So athletes have kind of a larger platform than many others because of their kind of um, heightened status in society. Uh, so they have the opportunity to utilize that platform and speak out on social issues, not necessarily um, choosing a political side like you were saying, but speaking out on behalf of people and just promoting um, social justice in a way to where they're standing up for human beings. Yeah, I totally agree. And kind of back to you again, Travis, you wrote your thesis in your master's program on athlete activism. So I guess going off of the duty and responsibility to speak up, what toll does it take on the athlete to speak up? And is there a benefit to speaking up? Or is it, you know, kind of what's the trade off there between cost benefit in speaking up for athletes who have that platform, but also, as you said, have that extra weight of having the platform and having people who do view them in a box of other and not necessarily that human category. I really appreciate that you're kind of um, uh, trying to look at both sides, the, the cost benefit, like you said, because it's very important. A lot, of, um, a lot of the criticisms in the current research, for example, 
uh, or just criticisms in a way, just the discussion on athlete activism uh, is mostly focused on the barriers to it and the negative aspects to athlete activism because it certainly takes a toll. Activism takes a huge toll on us, whether you're an athlete or not. It, it is very draining and it can be very draining very quickly, especially if we're not taking care of ourselves or if we're not supported or if we don't have um, certain resources that can help us properly and effectively engage in activism. So um, all of these different things, and even if we do, it can still be very tiring. I, I don't want to diminish that. Uh, but imagine being an athlete now, you also have the added barriers of, of those individuals who say you should shut up and play. And all of um, the, the um, higher administration that you might fear who could potentially strip away your scholarship or strip away your position or strip away an endorsement or whatever it might be, you have those fears and those fears are legitimate. And those are going to, they're going to potentially distract you um, and just cause additional distress that is unnecessary really. Um, but at the same time, we know from research outside of athlete activism that activism is incredibly rewarding especially in the long term is what the research is showing there's not a lot in the short term so hopefully we're going to get there but um there's uh research that shows that even 28 years down down the road after being an activist you still experience greater levels of um post-traumatic growth so basically greater resilience by being an activist later on in life you um might develop uh you might kind of find certain skill sets to help you manage those stressors by engaging in activism, but you also might be able to find a support network. You might connect to other activists. So athlete activists might connect to other um, athletes who are also engaging in this work. They might notice that their teammates or their coaches are supportive of them um, and their identities and their work. And all of these things, all of the, um, support networks and the skill sets that you can find can help uh, athletes, activists, really prosper from this. There's even um, a really neat study that I, I read, um, I cited it a lot throughout my thesis, um, to where uh, retired Paralympic athletes noticed that if they were not activists while they had that spotlight as an athlete, they struggled more in their retirement from sport than athletes who were activists when they were in sport. So they actually are um, told the researchers in their interviews that they would recommend for current athletes to use their platform for good. And they believe that it could potentially be one of many ways, not saying it's the only way, but one of many ways to help transition out of sport and still have still be connected to sport, connected to others, and still have that um, sense of passion and that purpose, that greater sense of purpose. I think you made a good point there because even I, after being done with my sport, after like a month, I was like, who am I? What do I do? I've been playing the sport for 13 years 
And when you think about it, the NCAA didn't allow you to use your name and likeness the way they're going to be able to be able to use their name and likeness now. And so that activism piece is even more imperative and important. And when you look at it, we were like this whole, like even when going back to the idea of like athletes are in this other category, I think what people need to realize is before people were athletes, they were humans. And like, just because you became an athlete or an NCAA athlete or a pro athlete doesn't mean you aren't human first. Um, and I think like, even on your point of like tired, like it's tired being an activist, but it's tired being part of a social movement, but it's, we have to diversify our movement, like how we move within the social movement, how we move within activism, because social media, as you could, as we've all seen has had its up and then it's had its decline and so it's figuring out okay how do we make this and not just a social moment but a social movement um is super important figuring out how do we strategize to diversify our movement and be able to move in different spheres and places and spaces to help this continue to be a social movement i love that and i want to add another thing because so many athletes and coaches and administrators, et cetera, are concerned that that sense of tiredness um, could actually be something that is a major barrier and, a re and they use that as a reason why they should not be activists. But the thing is, is that if we do have those support systems that I keep kind of alluding to, and we have um, the kind of skill sets and the abilities and the services, the resources, all of the all of the good stuff that help us take care of our own well-being and balance that activism, that's when we can really, really see the benefits and not be as concerned about that sense of tiredness. Yeah, for sure. And actually going off of that sense of tiredness and kind of feeling maybe overwhelmed, for lack of a better term, with speaking up, Gazi, would you mind talking a little bit about your experience? Because in this whole movement, Gazi, um, so Gazi actually is a blogger as well, and you can speak on that if you want a little bit, but she started this platform, Aesthetics and Athletics, to talk about being a female athlete, and you can talk to her about that more, and we'll link the that in our description. But as part of that, and then also her own platform on social media, she's been really active in this movement right now, and has made a ton of really informative and well thought out and well communicated graphics and infographics educating people about lots of different aspects of what's going on right now and I know that that definitely took a toll on you because it was almost because social media it's on your phone you're it's always there with you it's a constant 24 7 reminder of what you could be doing if you don't set limits so would you mind talking a little bit about your experience with that and figuring out how to balance not getting too tired yeah, I think that was one of the biggest things. I realized, like, especially when everything with George Floyd happened and Breonna Taylor, I felt like I was constantly on social media, constantly feeling like I needed to inform people. Um, and because I, I think a lot of Black athletes, a lot of Black people take it one of two ways. Either they're like, people need to inform themselves, I'm taking time off. Or I took it away of like, no, this is the height of the movement and we need to get more information out there. People need to be more aware of this. Um, and with that, you just tire yourself out. And I remember I was talking to my therapist and she said these words to me, you need to take a water break. Like, 
same concept of like a sport. Like you get tired, you need to take a water break. And so I had to bench myself in order to refuel. Like I didn't do anything on aesthetics and athletics for five weeks, which is something that I was like, oh no, people are going to forget what aesthetics and athletics is. But I needed to bench myself in order to take time for myself to reevaluate how can we just not make this just a moment, but a movement. And in order to do that, you have to still be talking about this a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. If we output all our content within the first month and then we drop off and no one continues to talk about it, you can see it's happening, but we need to spread that out and strategize where it's like, how can we continue to talk about this, continue to make this conversation, grow the conversation from just like awareness to then from awareness to conversation to change and action. Like how can we be in all four of those parts over the course of the long haul and the marathon? Because you can easily look at it as a sprint. Like we just sprinted this whole thing, but we need to be strategic in the marathon side of things. So it means taking time off. It means getting, taking a water break when you're tired, like refueling, being able to refocus, refigure out how you can diversify your movement in this. And that's kind of what I've been learning. Like how can I diversify my movement? Because social media, great, love it, but it's not the only thing, the only movement we can be a part of or be doing like how can I speak to people that are in my spheres whether it's sports and aesthetics and athletics like having like I have like conversations with something we committed to with aesthetics and athletics to have conversations every single month that's a workout and conversation so pairing a workout with we work as a team to do this workout and then we have a conversation about race relations in America and the conversation changes every single time because we're talking about we're in different stages. Maybe we're, we were in the awareness and now we're in the conversation and then we're in the uh, change and then we're in the action stage. So it's like pairing it with everyday things, whether it's like a dinner, having dinner and cultural conversation or having a workout and culture conversation, then you're able to normalize talking about these things because it's uncomfortable, it's messy, but we need to talk about it in order to get through it and to be able to create real, enact real change. Yeah, I really like how you worded it's uncomfortable, it's messy, but we need to do it. Because I think that that's such a great way to encapsulate kind of this topic and what we're going through right now is it is difficult to talk about, but and it gets easier as we keep talking about it and having these conversations. So I think that that's a great way to phrase that. I I feel like you literally just stole the words from me because I the entire time that you were talking, I was thinking, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And then you said it. So I was like, yes. <laughs> and it, it gets me thinking too, because obviously we're very track minded. We're very running minded, but this goes for, it, it, you can input that analogy into any sport. It, any sport that you participate in, you have to take that water break or any sport that you participate in, you don't, uh, have a game, a match, a competition, whatever your sport calls it, every single day of the week, every single week, every month, every year, you don't. Their recovery is part of, of your routine for a reason. And recovery shouldn't just be something that's here and there. It's something that we need to be doing consistently. So we need to be taking care of ourselves and our well-being, checking in with ourselves. Um, whether that's uh, with a therapist, I always think that's a wonderful idea. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, whether that's just kind of sitting down with our thoughts and writing things out, reading a book, whatever that might be for you, finding that and really um, getting some energy back and relaxing. That is so imperative in sport 
in activism in so many other contexts. That's great advice too about just kind of finding what works for you and figuring out how to really make that work for you and be the best and most involved in this you can be while also taking care of yourself, which just like in sport, you can only give so much if you're not at your, yourself at 100%. And so you really need to make sure you take care of yourself first before you um, try and help others because otherwise you're not going to be able to do very much. So I guess kind of going off of that a little bit, but also switching lanes a bit, what can be done? I guess what and this is that's obviously a very general question, but Gaza, you talked a little bit about how you're pairing these workouts with conversations. And I know in this process, a lot of teams and organizations and businesses release statements and, you know, acknowledging what's going on or some talking about what they're going to do. And there's a varying degree to which different organizations and teams spoke out. But personally, I had some former teammates reach out to me and say, you know, we want to make a statement as a team, but we want it to be more than just checking off the box of saying, look, we acknowledge what's going on. We want to actually figure out how to make change. And, you know, I struggled to figure out what to tell them, what advice to give them, because I I don't have all the answers. And obviously no one has all the answers in this, but what are some things that teams can do and coaches and ways that coaches can support athletes? And also, obviously, we have athlete allies and we have athletes who are going through it themselves, kind of how, I guess this is a big question, but how do we actually try to do something in the sports world and in your team community, even beyond that bigger platform you're talking about? I think that's the big question a lot of people are asking one month after this huge social media moment, how do we make this a movement? Um, And I think it's two things. Like it can be kind of overwhelming to think about like changing the world, but what we can do is change our spheres of influence. So taking it, taking the world and dialing it down to sphere of influence, whether that's your team, whether that's your school, whether that's your sorority, whether that's like your specific sphere and then looking at, okay, how can I enact real change in this fear? Well, the only way to truly enact real real change is to start conversation and have conversation. But it's like starting with a conversation is great, but we need to take steps. What are our action items? Like after post-conversation, what's the next step we're going to take towards this? And I think, yes, it's great to have a statement, but we have to see action behind the statement. So that's whether it's reaching out to your administrators, reaching out to your coaches and being like, hey, Great, love the state that we did a statement, but now let's lay out a plan for how we're going to do this in the next two weeks, in the next month, in the next six months, in the next year, in the next years to come. What are the action items that we're going to take to actually enact real change? Because it can check a box, but unless you have things to back it up, we're just saying fluff. So I think it's creating a plan that's digestible and snackable and easy to like understand and enact um in that specific sphere because if we all can change our spheres in the littlest way possible whether it's in two weeks in a month in a year and make small changes we can change the world because if everyone changes their fear we're changing the world so i think it's enacting change in your sphere but having actionable items in smaller bits i I love that i i remember in undergrad our, our uh phrase if i remember it correctly um one drop makes a ripple is the phrase that we would use to basically describe exactly what you were just saying and going off of those action items so actually was asked this the other day so i had the chance to sit back and just kind of brainstorm all kinds of things based off of what i've read in the literature what i've had in class conversations with others 
and I listed a bunch of things down. So I like legitimately have a list um, <laughs> of things. So I'll try not to like, go too, too long. Um, but on an individual level, there are certain things that individual athletes can do that maybe um, aren't encompassed within the entire team or the department. Um, reach out to your legislators. Figure out who your local politicians are, your state politicians, and reach out to them. Email them. Write them letters. Call them if possible. Meet them if possible. I know not right now, but continuously reaching out to them, I think, is important. And most states, I'm not sure about all states, but most states have a website that you can go to. And it's just like, find my legislator, fill in the blank for which state you're in. So I wanted to mention that first. But then there are also some things that athletes can advocate for, for changes within their team and department. And the first thing that I um, really think is important is to reflect on your philosophy and values, whether that's at the, again, at the team level or the department level. So I know in undergrad, my, um, I went to a, a Quaker school and our school actually had social justice within our core values. And not saying that it has to be within someone's core values, but um, maybe you call it, uh, you have diversity in your core values or equality, whatever it is. Just go back and reflect on that because if we can put it in our core values, in our philosophy, then we have even more reason to follow up with actions on it. So that way we have some sense of continuity and integrity within our own team and department. Other things that uh, I thought of include some types of implicit bias training and depending on the types of trainings it's actually not always good to require it to mandate it because for example I think of um, safe zone training for LGBTQ uh, plus individuals it's if you have a hateful person it's not necessarily good for them to be safe zone certified um, because then they may not be the best person to go to um, but still having some type of implicit bias training, having some type of tangible reward for that, for coaches and administrators, uh, like a certification. Um, even something as small as that can be really incentivizing for upper level administrators to kind of encourage. Other things are mentorship groups and clubs. So across the department, um, perhaps they could create a mentorship group um, for uh, black athletes or for Hispanic athletes, or for LGBTQ athletes, or Black LGBTQ athletes, or whatever it might be. Um, so creating those mentorship groups uh, can foster kind of that sense of relatedness and can create a lot of support for those athletes who might be struggling the most to kind of have that support. And going off of that uh, kind of idea of having support, and mentorship and other organizations, having some type of um, regular um, celebration, I guess, I'm not sure if that's the right word, um, but maybe like every month or every week in the season or whatever it might be, dedicating some time to honor some, um, some diverse aspect, whether that's using um, June for Pride Month, since we're in June right now, whether that's uh, February for Black History Month. Um, so not just saying um, Happy Pride Month 
don't just end it there. Like use that time to really highlight stories and dig deeper. That's awesome. Those are a lot of really great steps and a lot of different areas to achieve and a lot that are very easily accessible. Kind of like Gazi was saying, it's if you kind of break it down and make it into smaller action items. It's much easier to then go forward from there because obviously if you, your goal is to change the world. You can't start at that level. You have to start somewhere lower and then it'll trickle and ripple, like the ripple effect you mentioned. And going off of that, a lot of the sports and references we talked about a little bit comes from a lot of within, but what about sports like swimming and diving and water polo that are, there's very little diversity for a variety of reasons. And what are good things for those coaches or people who are leaders on those teams? How can they help to have these conversations when no one in the room is of color or has a a stake and how do they still, if they, you know, coming from the best intentions, how do they kind of curate a space where they can have these conversations without having diversity in that sense on the team? I think one of the biggest things there is like when you look at a lot of some teams, they obviously don't have women of color on their team. And I think that's number one, a place to start. Like thinking about like asking the question, like, do we have any teammates that have diverse experiences in terms of race? And if that right there is a no, it's like, how do we create a space and place where we can have teammates who are a different race, but then also bringing in people, maybe they're in your specific sport that are of a different color or different race, black people in that sport um, would be a good place to start because then you can understand from the perspective of whatever sport you're in, what a person that plays the same sport, but might not, might not look like you, their experience with that. And I think it goes back to recruiting and access. And with some sports that are predominantly white sports, how do we create, make that more of an equalized sport and have access in, in different communities to, to that sport? Um, so I think it starts with creating, starting in your space and asking the question, like, if we don't have diverse people in our, in our sport, on our team, why is that the case? And how do we create space for that to happen? That makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I, I love that you, you talked about access. I want to touch on that too in just one moment. Um, but I think of, you mentioned, what if it's uh, the team is entirely all white? What do you do? Where do you start? Um, how, how can we bring someone who is not white into the picture? Um, especially because if I, if I was not white, I, I am a white male. Um, if I was not white, I might look at that team as a recruit and be like, I don't know if I'm going to fit in there. I am going to go check out another team. Um, because you may not feel that sense of support if nobody there looks like you already. So it can create some divides, right? Um, so I think bring somebody in, somebody external from your team. I, I think like an admissions counselor, for example, who identifies as a black individual, bring them in and have them work, kind of collaborate with the coaching staff to target um, black swimmers. And just try to, try to manipulate your recruiting strategies, your marketing strategies a little bit more. So that way you are recruiting um, a larger diversity of athletes, because maybe it's, it's not someone out there. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's how I'm recruiting. So maybe I need to change something. What can I do? How can I bring others in to improve my own recruiting? Right? 
Um, and then I also think of access, and this kind of goes back to the question before too, what can we do? Um, I, I think about the, the lab that I'm about to work at, work at at Ohio State, it's called Life Sports. And uh, what, what Life Sports is all about is creating more opportunities in sport and uh, for individuals um, who may not have those same opportunities, uh, especially uh, youth who are in lower socioeconomic statuses. So maybe as a swim team, for example, just sticking with that as an example, we can uh, kind of organize and host events that are targeted at certain populations within our community, at certain neighborhoods in the area, the local and regional area, and, and try to bring in youth from back from diverse backgrounds to give them uh, very um, reduced cost or free access to sport at just like a clinical level. So just maybe like a week long or maybe it's a day camp and expose them to those sports. And hopefully that kind of exposure is going to be positive and really rewarding and fun. And they're learning not just sport, but also life skills. And then they become attached to that sport and they want to stay involved. Maybe they come back for the next camp and then the next camp. And then they try to figure out how can I continue to be involved? And from there, we are, we are um, kind of embracing and enhancing diversity within our sport. So that is something that we can do at the team level too. Yeah, for sure. I think that that's great. Both of you kind of touched on that accessibility and trying to, especially if you have a team and you have access to the communities around you and you have facilities that um, you can try to figure out how to use and really make those resources available. And you all have skills, clearly, if you're a college athlete, that you can share very easily. On a similar note, um, I talked about kind of what you do if there's not a lot of diversity in the sport, but what advice, I guess, would you have for an athlete who, or athletes who have coaches who maybe it's not so much that they don't care about the issue, but they're kind of saying, you know, my role as a coach is to coach you in the sport and kind of do think of sports as a bubble from the outside world. How as an athlete, because you want to be respectful, you want to, it, it is your coach, you know, you do care about your position on the team. Like you said, there is a, a, something at stake often. How do you approach that topic with a coach or um, an administrator who, you know, really wants you to focus on sport and not, doesn't feel like it's their role to try to facilitate these conversations and create this space to have these conversations. I I think one big thing there is this concept, especially being a black athlete, the concept is if we're going to put you on our front as an, I'm going to represent you as a school on my front when I play, when I do things on social media, all these things, I'm going to need you to put me on your back to represent me when I don't have that jersey on, when I am an activist, when I'm doing things that matter to me, because that's central to your identity. As a black person, especially that, being black is central to your identity. Just as much as you're an athlete, you're even more like a human being in a black, in a black human being. So that representation needs to be there and that needs to be commitment. And I think that's the biggest thing because schools often make, you make money off of someone's likeness, off of someone's image, off of someone's talent. but that person is a person first. And I think it's working with your teammates. Like maybe it's working with your teammates and being like, Hey guys, this really means a lot to me as a black person on this team. Like, can we work together to talk to our coach, to have action items, to get this through. 
And even when you look at it, the reasons why so many schools had statements released is due to putting pressure on their administrators, putting pressure on their coaches, calling their coaches and being like, hey, this is what's going on in the world. And if we are not up to par with what's going on in the world and don't understand it and don't take action, we're behind. We should have done it yesterday. So it's like working with the coaches and not putting pressure in the sense that like we demand this right now, but it's working with them and being like, this matters a lot to us. And we are going to play, we're going to continue to play for this team. But if we're going to continue to play for this team, we need to have the support of you on our backs or of us on your back. Like we need to make sure that just as much as this is a partnership and like we're playing for you, you're also supporting us. Um, so I think that's the most important thing. I, I think too, on top of that, I, I think of the story that I actually heard from a sport psychologist. I, I'm going to try to be careful with the story so I don't give any, any identifying information away, so bear with me. Um, but the sports psychologist was working with this team and this uh, they were working on the with the team on imagery, I believe it was, and the team finally told them, uh, the sports psychologist, that this is not going to work. I imagery was not why we lost the game last time. Last time that we played them, we lost because when we were there, the players, the coaches, and the fans, they were racist. And they said all kinds of slurs to us. They treated us this way. They did this, they did this, they did this, and they did this. It affected their performance. And if a coach can realize that these barriers are real, they exist. And whether it's in the back of my mind or smacking me right in the face, it's, it's real. And it can really hinder someone's well-being, their emotional state, their ability to concentrate, whatever it might be, especially when it's something that's such a, um, such a large piece of someone's salient identities. I, I think, for example, I identify as, um, as a gay man, and I remember running in track, uh, there were times where um, other coaches and other athletes they would actually mock people for uh, being gay. They would say all kinds of different different slurs and just they would focus simply on the fact that this athlete was um, LGBTQ rather than the fact that they are a superb athlete. And that can be very frustrating as an athlete to kind of have my identity as an athlete sidelined because you think that this really is the most important thing or isn't important at all. Like there's a spectrum and it all affects me. It all affects my being as a human. And that in turn affects my ability to be an athlete. Yes, and I think going back to when we were talking about speaking up and what toll does that take? I mean, I think also not not speaking up takes a toll and that it affects the person and then therefore it also affects the performance. And so, especially if you have people in your lives that are not understanding the connection between why you want to talk about social justice when you're there to just play a sport, really talking about how it is, you know, you're not just there to play a sport, you are a person. And if you are being affected by these things personally, it's going to affect your performance and you're not going to be able to represent the school the way that they want to be represented, like you were talking about, Gazi. 
I think we're getting pretty close to wrapping up here, but to put you both on the spot a little bit, is there any one piece of advice that you would give your younger athlete self regarding social justice in sport and maybe something that you've experienced or thinking about what's going on right now and then kind of putting yourself back in that shoes of being an athlete in this time period? I think one thing is, because even I remember this on another topic of just like it was on an article that was written about Harvard Athletics and I felt inclined to write about it and speak about it. And I got a little pushback from coaching staff in the sense that, oh, you should have waited to talk to the administrator. Oh, you should have done this. But like, you have a freedom and a right of speech. You have a freedom and a right to post. And if it's appropriate, you have, you can exercise that right. Like, even though you are on a team, you represent a team, that doesn't mean that you have to, like, you are put in a box. And I think that's something that I wish I would have known a while back and like I truly had to find my voice in order to feel like I could do so but like use your voice use your platform like you represent a team but also the team is not like a single autonomous thing like there are diverse personalities there are diverse people there are diverse races all diversity on a team and you can have a diversity of thought and I think that is important to note and understand and i think it's important for coaches and administrators to understand that we as humans as people shouldn't be silenced just because you're part of an organization you should be able to speak your mind when appropriate and speak your mind in an appropriate civil discourse way but it doesn't mean you should be silent or be silenced um so i would probably child to my talk to my younger self to speak my mind and be active and vocal about things that matter to me because Half, more often than not, it matters to someone else too. And maybe by you using your voice to speak on it, you're opening up and allowing someone else to also use their voice and platform to speak on it. That's great. And I, I think that that's such an important message too about the fact that if you're feeling that, there's probably someone else there who's feeling it too. And by you speaking up and you finding your voice, you help them find their voice too. And um, especially with issues like this, where sometimes it takes one person speaking up before anyone is willing to really address that there is an issue. So I think that that's awesome. I was super lucky in undergrad. My sprint coach actually had um, if I remember his degrees correctly, it was, if it wasn't this, it was something very similar. Um, he had two degrees, one in criminal justice and one in sociology. So he actually actively engaged in some of these conversations with some of us. Though I would encourage myself to uh, not just have those conversations in that small group that we would always have those conversations with, but expand those conversations to others like a track team is usually pretty big. Um, so uh, talking with others on the team as well, I think would have been important. Um, and also not just, um, not just that, but going off of the idea of where I'm heading to next with um, life sports, I would have tried to get my team to organize some type of um, local event and be more involved with the community. Um, at that level so that way we are hitting those actionable steps that that we keep referring to I think would have been very empowering for each of us on the team and super beneficial to the community. Uh, that's 
very true. I really wish that as a team we had been, or, you know, when I was on the team, we had gotten more involved with the community, especially having been in a sport that there's not a lot of diversity and going to school right outside of Boston, there's a lot of communities that we could have positively affected. And I think that that's actually one of the things that going forward they're planning on doing. And I think that that's so important and a great way to really start to make important and lasting change and otherwise a lot of young athletes so that's pretty much all the questions those are all the questions I have for you both thank you again so so much for joining me and having this conversation I really appreciate you both taking the time to educate me and our listeners and just talk about this topic because it really is like I said so important and not discussed nearly enough and you know not the easiest conversations to have but the more you have them the easier they become and and then it can become more commonplace and more a part of our daily lives and thought and you know more part of our daily consciousness if it's not already which really obviously it needs to be it's so important so I really enjoyed talking to you both I hope you both enjoyed it as much as I did and thank you again thank Thank you you so so much. much for having me for having us too Yes, thank you so much for having us. I loved this conversation, so thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been another episode of the Kentucky Resilience Lab. Head to the episode description for more information about Gazi and Travis, and be sure to subscribe and follow us on Instagram at KYResLab so that you don't miss any future episodes.